Hello, and welcome to the Burning Coal Theater's podcast series, Into the Fire, with Jerome Davis. Hi, I'm Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Today, our guest is Kayla Kaufman. Kayla, welcome. Thanks for having me. Kayla's here in Raleigh, uh, her first visit to the Tar Heel State. Indeed. Uh, directing Crumble, subtitled, uh, Lay Me Down, Justin Timberlake. And um, uh, this is part of the Burning Coal Theater Company, Wait Till You See This, uh, second stage series, which we do every year. Uh, Wait Till You See This is a series of three plays that run in repertory, often produced with young or emergent artists and on themes and uh, subjects that are perhaps slightly further afield than our main stage season's work would be. And that is true um, exceedingly so this year. The three plays will include Iphigenia in Splot by Gary Owen, which Burning Coal is producing, Worried by Renee Nixon, being produced by She Cow Productions, and the Women's Theater Festival production of Crumble. And Kayla, I believe you are the first uh, out-of-town director that Women's Theater Festival has hired. Is that correct? That's true. Can't tell you why. Tell Well, <laughs> I suspect it has something to do with your uh, resume, which is impressive. You uh, grew up in uh, the San Francisco, the Bay Area, and went to school in Los Angeles. Did you go uh, for theater? Well, so I started theater in high school, and I fell in love with directing there. And then for some reason, I told myself, all right, that was a fun time. We're done with theater now. Let's go to school for film and television production and uh -huh. Spanish. Right. Uh, so I went to uh, Loyola Marymount University, which has an excellent film production uh, major, studied that for a semester, and then came almost crying to the head of the theater department saying, please let me in. Uh, and he said, okay. So. Well, that's interesting. Now, what, what about the film and uh, television turned you off? Uh, what was going on there? It didn't turn me off. It just wasn't theater. Wasn't um, suiting your needs. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think that there's a lot that film has that theater doesn't have, but there is much more that theater has that film doesn't that I unfortunately have an addiction to. Well, the the one thing that a film has typically is money, uh, but uh, but yep. let's talk about the other side of it. What what is it about theater that you discovered in that semester was was missing from your life? <sighs> Um, I don't know if I've still really wrapped my head around it. Um, I think mostly it's the living aspect of it. It's being in a room and living and breathing with the people who are telling the story and the people who are taking in the story and the conversation that happens between that and the fact that it's different every time. It's constantly living, changing, evolving every single time something is brought to life on stage. Um, whereas film, it's, did you get the shot? Got it, moving on. And then that shot is fixed, right? Mm -hmm. At that point, it's not gonna change once the uh, setup is taken down. Did you have a chance to work on film at all while you were there, or was it mostly classroom stuff? Yeah, sense? yeah, so I, so I, I, I told myself uh, the difference that I could balance between film and theater, the thing that I thought film had that theater didn't have was documentary. <laughs> Uh, and so I 
it, complete nonfiction is something you can't quite do in theater. Uh, so I really geared myself towards documentary filmmaking, and I um, somehow ended up making documentaries in China and Nepal and really exploring the world through that. One which semester? I, uh, different semesters. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, 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 did, I stayed with the film major. I graduated with a double degree in oh, theater arts okay. and film and television production. Okay, well good, so you did it. You followed through with it. Good. Did it. That's great. And <laughs> yep. the, tell me about those experiences, Nepal and, and uh, Asia, China? China, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, so China was a documentary looking at the uh, cultural revolution and how it uh, affects religion in China today. Mm. Um, and Nepal was a look at a spice called Timor and just looking at the way that it goes from seed to market. Mm, uh, just kind of things that intrigued me that I wanted to look further into. Yeah, interesting. And did those uh, documentaries get made? Did they, they actually did get made? Are they mm. available? Are they accessible? Anywhere? Uh, yes. Yep, they we, are. Where can we find those if we wanted to look at them? You can look up my Vimeo page. Uh -huh. um, I, I actually need to double check that they're actually on there. They were at some point. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fascinating to me. And then, uh, but you began to uh, intersperse your film work with theater work there at, uh, at the college at Loyola Marymount. Mm -hmm. And uh, as an actor first, or were you... Uh, set on directing from an early age? Yeah, from starting from high school, I knew I loved theater, uh, and I enjoyed acting, but I knew that I wasn't good at it. It was just, I just wasn't good. I wasn't a good actor. Um, but I still loved theater, and I was thinking, oh, there's gotta be something here that I connect to, and I finally had a chance to direct my junior year of high school, and I directed this piece with the freshmen in the theater program there, um, and then the first night that it went up, I was sitting in the booth and I said, oh, this is what I like. I like uh -huh. this. Uh -huh. uh, so I've since then been on the directing track, although also designing, acting, doing other things, rounding the experience well, out. Designing, really? Uh, in, in what uh, area? Costumes? Uh, sets? Uh? Mostly all the design work has been within uh, classes, oh, settings. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, More theoretical than yeah. practical? Yeah. But then also uh, for my own projects, often I would take on a role that I couldn't bring someone else on for. Mm -hmm. um, like I helped design special effects for my the thesis uh, production of The Taming by Lauren Gunderson. Mm -hmm. uh, some balloon drops, confetti, that kind of stuff. You and I have talked about uh, Gunderson's work. For those who don't know, uh, this year, uh, this uh, season, Lauren Gunderson is the most produced playwright in America. Uh, and you have met Lauren before, is that right? It, was that at your graduate uh, program? You, you got a gr graduate degree from? Oh no, undergrad. No? Undergrad, okay. Yep. <laughs> Tell me about uh, the experience of meeting her. So I decided the uh, day after the most recent election, I read The Taming and I said, this is gonna be my thesis. This was after having piles and piles of plays around my mm -hmm. room and being like, I like this, but it's not quite this. And I found The Taming and I said, yes. Um, and I knew that Lauren Gunderson was working in the Bay Area where I'm from and where I visit for home. Right. And I thought to myself, see if I can talk to her, get some more insight here. You know, who knows? Of course, you know, maybe I will never hear a response back, but maybe I will. So I emailed her 
And she said, yeah, sure, let's meet for lunch. That's fantastic, um, yeah. Yeah, and just, I'm constantly astounded by the generosity of artists willing to just sit down and talk with you. Yeah. Um, and I've been really, really blessed with that. Uh, and Lauren Gunderson was one of the people that just said, yeah, let's sit down and talk. That's so, lovely. It's, yeah. a hard, it's a hard lesson to learn, but, but generally speaking, people like to hear, uh, I like your work. Uh, and and that, that's always a good way into uh, developing a relationship. Was Lauren, um, did she receive support from theaters in the Bay Area when she was uh, young, or did she move there after she'd already started uh, you know, down the path of, that she's on now? You know, I don't know that particular part of her history. I know that she uh, grew up in Georgia, I believe, mm -hmm. and she moved to the Bay Area. And I know that she she has uh, talked about how she's found an artistic home there and yeah. really enjoys the sport that she gets there. Yeah. Um, but I'm not entirely sure what that part of the history is. There's a lot of uh, money in the Bay Area right now, and, and it's hard um, for artists to find a, a place to... Um, uh, to live uh, in that area. Uh, so um, how does how do you make that work uh, or will you make that work at, at any point going forward or are you gone from there now except for visits back to your parents? Great question. Um, I actually recently accepted the artistic fellowship at ACT for the next year um, and we'll be figuring that out one way or another uh, how the heck to live there. Um, it's, it's, it's incredibly hard. There is a housing crisis in the Bay Area and it's super, super hard for low income, which artists tend to be, to find housing. Um, so uh, it'll be a challenge, I know, but I'm hoping to at least make it work for uh, 10 months. <laughs> how, how does that happen? I, I'm very, very curious about that, but uh, um, you know, the Bay Area is full of, uh, um, you know, successful uh, companies, uh, particularly in the Silicon Valley area. And um, one uh, would think based upon voting trends and things like that, that, um, that those people would be interested in creating an environment in which um, artists could live and work and people of all uh, economic backgrounds. And, and yet it is one of the worst places in America for that. How does that happen? Why does that happen? Uh, I wish I had a good answer there. Uh, yeah, San Francisco is the most liberal county in the United States right. and in California, and that's all saying a lot. Uh, but it's also not saying a lot. I think that there's uh, a lot that kind of slips under the covers. Uh, people will say on the surface, I am pro this, I'm pro this, I you know, will vote this way. But when it comes to their own bubble being infringed upon, yeah. they're not as comfortable with changes. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of suburbs that are very, very wealthy in the Bay Area that want to keep it single-family homes on large plots of land, right. and no changes there. Right, no, no new construction. There used to be, uh, the Mission uh, District was uh, heavily Latino, and I would assume uh, from that, perhaps that's a bad assumption, but that that was some lower income uh, people in that community. Has that changed as well? Has that gone? There were several <laughs> different uh, parts of San Francisco that tended to be more friendly to towards lower income people. Um, mm -hmm. 
but many of those places, mission included, have been very gentrified and uh, taken over by wealthy elites who are able to keep up with the rising prices of housing. Uh, and people are being thrown out of places where their families have been for years and years. That's too bad. Yeah. That's too bad. Um, well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Crumble. This is not uh, your first encounter with Crumble. You may be the only uh, director in America to have two cracks at this play. Tell me about how you first came to meet this uh, this play. So, yeah, so I, I, I would argue maybe it's not two full cracks because the first one was a staged reading, right. uh, so not quite... Uh, not quite the same as really putting it on its feet and getting right. going, but um, I, around Christmas time last year, I was um, feeling like a lot of the Christmas stories that we choose again and again are centered around the same kind of person, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was looking for something that was not um, not the same story, something that we could uh, experience that time of year in a different way. Uh, and I would definitely say that Crumble is different. It fits um, that bill to, to a T, yeah. Fits that bill. Yeah. So how did you, did somebody give it to you and said, will you direct a reading of this or how, how did you come across it? Uh, so I was working at Portland Stage at that time and I in personally, Maine, uh, in, in Maine, Portland, yes, Maine, yeah. Portland, Maine. Uh, and I was just, it, it was just, it was really for myself. Uh, I had been thinking about putting together a small company to do stage readings and things like that in Portland, Maine, because there's a lot of talent that doesn't really have um, an artistic home and from working at Portland Stage I had access to physical space while there mm -hmm. uh, and so I thought I'm gonna do something uh, so it was really uh, myself and uh, a few other people that I was working with at Portland Stage throwing it together putting it on speed finding some actors reaching out making it all happen one night and done what was the what was the response to it I'm curious uh... Well, it happened on the night of a snowstorm, wow. so we didn't have the turnout that we had hoped for. Wow. Um, but uh, the people that did end up coming, we, you know, uh, a lot of people were like, "Oh, that's a weird show. Uh -huh. How fun!" <laughs> you know, when how would it, I? One of the questions I kept on getting was, "Now, how the heck would you do that if you were actually going to put it on its feet?" <laughs> so how how the heck uh, would you do it if you? Now that you are going to put it on its feet, you have two of the characters are Justin Timberlake and Harrison Ford, and the script dictates that one actor play both of those parts. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you how do you do all those things? There's also a, a character called the apartment. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you how do you stage that as a director? Does that intimidate you? Does that make you think, well, maybe I'll do Ibsen, uh, you know, or <laughs> uh, or does it excite you? Um, well, okay, I'm going to tell you a story that I don't know whether it is true or not, but I like to believe that it's true, uh, that Sheila Callahan wrote this play to make it impossible to stage. Mm -hmm. um, and I have always been the type of person to, even if it's not directed towards me, to say, challenge accepted. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah. so uh, I... You know, I kind of, I kind of started when I read the script. I was like, "How, how would someone put this on stage? I have no idea. I'll never put it on stage anyway. It's just a stage <laughs> reading." Um, but then I thought more about it, and um, the reasons why Justin Timberlake and Harrison Ford appear uh, really helped 
decide where to go with that. And a lot of it is that uh, it's based in the calamity from the past year where the father passed away. And so it really is as weird and Oedipal as this might be in some cases, mm. it is the father coming back and in a ghosty father form and... Kind of the two uh, polar opposites uh, of male um, uh, sort of hero worship, I guess. Right. Uh, um, there's a famous uh, story that you may or may not know. Uh, uh, Peter Schaffer, when he delivered uh, the script of The Royal Hunt of the Sun, which was his first big play at the National Theatre in London, he handed it to Peter Hall and he said, there's a, there's a stage direction uh, and he turned, uh, he said, uh, uh, the stage direction says, um, they cross the Andes. Uh, and he said, you know, Peter, we don't have to do that. You know, I can take that out if you, and, and Peter Hall said to his great credit, if you take that out, I won't do it. <laughs> and I love that uh, idea of, um, of a director, and in this case, an artistic director who, who sees the value in, in uh, challenging the imagination, which is kind of what theater does. To go back to your uh, earlier discussion about working in the film world, if a film uh, script said they crossed the Andes, you're probably going to need some plane tickets. Just, a montage or yeah, something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and lots and lots of crew and uh, construction. Uh, but in the theater, it can be something quite simple, uh, and the audience will accept it if it's clear, if it's clarified, and, and go with it. Um, and, and that's one of the things that excites me about this play, and, and frankly about this whole series that we do, is that it really is more or less... Uh, Peter Brooks' empty space, you know, with uh, with artists who, who are given, I hope, uh, the freedom uh, to, to unlock their imaginations uh, for yeah. that. Uh, how has uh, uh, working with the Women's Theatre Festival been so far? Have, have you enjoyed that experience? Yeah, I mean, you know, more than anything, I still am in shock that I'm here and working with them <laughs> and able to work on this piece. Uh, so I owe so much to them for just believing that I can pull this off. Uh, you know, no promises, but we'll see. Um, but I, I, they, I love that they are so supportive and so they, they just, they believe in people mm -hmm. really deeply. Um, they believe that, you know, women have a place on stage and uh, that place is crucial to have out there right now. Uh, they're really committed to women and non-binary playwrights being produced and being paid and their artists being paid. Yeah. Um, and I just think that uh, I love how progressive they are and how far they're pushing forward and really making their dreams happen through this festival. What, what, what happens when uh, we reach that halcyon day when uh, the gender balance is more or less equal in the in the arts what what happens that that's not happening right now we hear each other um i think uh what i love about theater uh and this comes from i think the artistic director of the san francisco playhouse he t calls theater the empathy gym um yeah. oh and i might be i i'm 90 percent sure yeah. Someone in San Francisco who is brilliant and doing great things said that. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I, I think the ultimate goal of theater is to have everyone hear each other and empathize with mm -hmm. each other. And it's a practice 
in going to a story and thinking to yourself, uh, can I relate to this person? Can I have compassion for this person? Um, and also, if you can put yourself on stage, you know, if you're, if you're thinking, if I were this character, what would I do? Would I do this differently? How would I interact? It's a constant practice in life. And you, all you have to do is just sit in a seat and take it in. Uh, and so I think once we have complete parody, which I don't know, I hope I can see that, uh, because it's not just gender, it's also, uh, there's so many different intersections that we need to get uh, different voices on stage, but if we got everyone's voice on stage, mm -hmm. then I think we'd uh, maybe be able to understand each other for once. Well, um, that's, a, that's an interesting uh, thought. Um, there is, uh, you know, certainly the counter thought that, um, that with the rise of the internet, uh, we have been able to hear voices that maybe maybe it wasn't such a good idea to hear uh, and so uh, so I think there is there is at least some uh, argument in the other direction but but why are we still having this conversation over gender in the 21st century what is it historically that has has caused that is it do human beings have an innate need to separate themselves I mean is that what that's about or is it what is it? What, 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 why, why has this ever been an issue, do you think? I mean, if you ask me from my uh, pulpit of Psychology 101, uh, I would say that, you know, people do try to form in-groups and out-groups, and for a very, very long time, the in-group has been, uh, you know, white, heterosexual, cisgender men uh, with money. And, um, and, you know, there's, a, there's an instinct in humans, like, if I have this position of power, then I should keep it because I have this power. And I think, I truly think those people, you know, any, anyone who's holding on to their power thinks, I'm doing this right. I know it's right, and mm -hmm. I know how to do this best. Right. I don't think there are many people who, in their brains, are thinking... I'm doing this because I don't want other people to have a voice. I think it's more just, oh, well, you don't understand. I have a voice that really matters. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the, the revolution is understanding that there are other voices that matter. Yeah, a British playwright that it was, uh, um, an article was written about her recently in uh, The Guardian, I think, said uh, we're not we're not trying to take the place of men we're just trying to join them is, is yeah. that do you think the mission of women's theater festival and people who who are inclined to that that ideology i think it's i mean it's uh you know it's getting to a place of parody it's there there have been a certain voices that have taken the stage for so long that you know, there are festivals like the Women's Theatre Festival where we, they say we are exclusively doing women and non-binary playwrights because we just need to catch up. You know, it's, it's a matter of it's been this way for so many years that we need to play catch up. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah well, that makes perfect sense to me. But the Women's Theatre Festival is not saying and, and, and Theater X uh, run by a man must be closed down so that we no. can emerge. They're, they're simply saying let us get on stage too. Um, Let other voices join the, join the party. <laughs> just to be clear, you said parity, not 
parody, right? Yes, <laughs> Just parody. Parody, yeah, okay, good. Um, uh, so uh, what's in the future uh, for Kay Kayla Kaufman? Uh, what do you have coming up and, uh, you know, upcoming, but also what do you want to do? What would, what would the next 10 years of your life look like if you could script it out? <laughs> Uh, oh, big question. I'll start with the things that I know. Yeah. Um, I know that next I am working with Santa Cruz, uh, Santa Cruz Shakespeare, and I will be working on an adaptation of Dorothy Parker's Men I'm Not Married To. Um, the which I like a good title. I like a good title. Um, and I, after that, will be going pretty directly to uh, ACT in San Francisco, where I'll be an artist, uh, the artistic fellow for a year. Yeah. Uh, and do you have um, particular shows you're, you've been assigned to work on as an artistic yet. fellow? But that's coming. They're gonna yes. they're gonna give you a certain number each year. How many do they do? Do you know? Like, do they have a four, five, six play season? Do you know? I think it's uh, six. Mm, Six slash seven plays. There's a yeah. six play season, but then they always do a plus one as uh, a Christmas Carol, I believe. And I've been in their uh, their big house, their proscenium house. Do they have a smaller space, like an experimental lab as well? They have a few different spaces. They have one space that the fellows have access to for the fellows project, which oh. I look forward to. That's called the costume shop. <laughs> um, so it's a much smaller, more experimental we, we place. We have one here too. It's called the closet. No, just kidding. Yep. But, uh, but it's not a it's not a costume shop. It's uh, it is a performance space. Performance space, okay. yeah. Uh, so the fellows get to do a project in the spring, which I don't know what it'll be yet, but I look forward to it. That's lovely. Mm -hmm. That's really fantastic. Anything after that? Uh, after that is dot, 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 question mark, mm -hmm. uh, which I hope will be replaced by... Um, I'm really interested in... I, what I've loved about being Raleigh, even though it's only been a short while, is just learning about the theater scene here and mm -hmm. learning about the audiences here and learning about the people here. Uh, and what I'd really love to do is just do things like, now I'm in Raleigh, now I'm in Santa Cruz, mm -hmm. now I'm in, you know, somewhere, comma, Arkansas, yeah. who knows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just going around the United States and exploring different audiences and hopefully both bringing something to a new audience that I that I think might challenge them, but then also in turn being challenged by those audiences to see uh, how does that push my art in different ways. Do you see running a theater in your future? Perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, that's definitely always been something in the back of the mind, um, but uh, I think for now I just want to make as much art as I can <laughs> in whatever way that ends yeah. up happening. Yeah. I knew that I did very early on because uh, as some, some children doodle uh, geometric patterns uh, or faces or something on the corners of their page when they're in class, uh, I would doodle seasons. Uh, I would, uh, you know, be thinking to myself, well, if, if we could, if, could we stick angels in America there? That, that would really be good, no? So, and so my pages were covered with seasons of plays and some imaginary theater that was in my head. And uh, so when you start doing that, you'll know for, for a fact that, that, that that's uh, down the road for you. Um, uh, last words about Crumble before we, uh, we wrap up today. Mm, it's a really weird show. Uh, I promise you haven't seen a show like this before. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds exciting. And I think that's true of all three of the plays uh, this year. I'm uh, particularly excited uh, about uh, this year, but, but uh, worried 
which is a series of monologues uh, uh, about uh, things particularly that are on the minds of the African-American community, and Ipigenian Splot, which is a play about the uh, imbalance or inequality in um, uh, societies today. It's a, a beautiful, all three of them are beautiful, touching, and very funny plays. And we thank you for joining us here in Raleigh for the second stage series. Thank you for having me. It's a joy. <laughs> Excellent. All right. <laughs>